0: today truth and full disclosure okay we have to be honest so here's the question how many of you have ever gone to Ikea and bought like furniture in a box and then taken it home and tried to put it together without looking at the instructions first okay let me see those hands mostly men of men okay how many of you were successful Oh, wow. Okay, so some of you are smarter than the average bear, or smarter than the Ikea. Uh, but, But here's the thing. We don't like instructions very well, do we? I mean, has anyone ever done this? Have you ever bought a brand new car and sat down and read through the instruction, the owner's manual, before you drove it? No, no one has ever done that. You only do that when you don't know how something works, when you need help. That's when you go refer to the owner's manual. So the reason I bring that up, is that uh, we've come to a point in our study in Ephesians, the first three chapters are very... they're theological, but they are worship and prayer, and Paul is really... I'm going to put it this way. I think he's kind of buttering his audience up a little bit. He's telling them all of the wonderful things that they have available to them in Christ. And then beginning in chapter 4... He sort of shifts gears, and it kind of becomes a little bit more of an instruction manual. And I know that probably none of us uh, were ever compelled. I mean, maybe there, there is the rare person I've heard, you know, from time to time, somebody will read through the Bible before they enter into a relationship with Jesus. But most of us don't do that. Most of us do exactly like we do with the owner's manual on our car. When we can't figure something out, when things aren't going well, when we need help, we go refer to the instruction manual. Um, But, I I would say this, this last section, the last half of the book of Ephesians, is possibly more than any other book, I think, uh, in the New Testament, really a handbook uh, or an owner's manual for Christian living, for Christian life. Uh, Paul really did talk a lot about, in the first part of the book, our relationship with Jesus and, and the benefit that we have from being connected to Him and what He's done in our lives, what He's doing with our lives, what He's doing through our lives. He talked to us a lot about the grace of God and how grace works in our lives. And, and uh, there's, there's a, a sometimes overlooked reality, I think, in the church, and that is that there are expectations put on those people that are recipients of grace. Did you know that? Yes, grace is a free gift of God, but when you receive that free gift, there are some expectations that come with that. So after Paul has talked about all the benefits we have of that relationship, uh, he begins chapter 4 with, with this phrase, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy... Oh, come on, come on, come on. There we go. I knew it could do it. I don't know where. I've got a, some connection somewhere. Uh, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. God's done some great things in your life. Now, what I'd like you to do is to follow my lead, do what I've done, and step up and live a life that's worth that calling. Paul is uh, that's a that's a strong word when he says, "I urge you." It's it's really uh, it's almost like I beg you, but not beg you like pleading; more beg like. I really, coming from a place of authority, I really, really want you to do this. This is really important, and he's really making a strong appeal here. This verse really is the uh, kind of the thesis for the second half of the book. And then from here forward, he really describes what that life looks like. So let's pray, and then we'll do our best to kind of begin to talk about living that life that's worthy of the calling that we received in him. So Father, would you just open your word to us today? Help us, Lord God, to... um, to really evaluate where we are in our relationship with you and to take steps to do those things that we need to do to, uh, to really reflect who you are and glorify your name uh, in and through our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So um, the very next verse, he gives us some characteristics of that life. There are really, as you go through the book two sort of overarching components to this life. One of them is our character, our our behavior, and how we act towards one another. And the other is unity, the fact that we really are connected to one another. And he begins by giving sort of this little list. uh, And that's the actual verse exactly as it is in the NIV, but I broke it down there into five categories of things. He says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, Bearing with one another in love. Uh, so humility. <laughs> humility is uh, probably one of the most important and yet most challenging dynamics of Christian life. Uh, it's 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 imperative in the in the sake of in this, for the sake of unity among other things. I mean, when you think about unity, disunity happens a lot when. People aren't humble, right? When they're prideful and they're arrogant and they want their way and they're not willing to give up their way. So relationships break down. Humility is important, and yet it's not always easy, is it? It's a challenging thing to be humble. Uh, A lot of disunity happens when we neglect to be humble. The actual uh, literal translation of that word is lowliness of mind. And what it means is don't think more of yourself than you should. Don't, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. <coughs> Growing up, uh, John Wimber said this. It was one of the best definitions of humility I ever heard. He said, humility is a clear understanding of where you end and where God begins. When you think of it that way, it's a game changer, isn't it? Where, where do you end? Where do I end and where does God begin? Well, If I believe what I say I believe, then every breath I take comes from Him, right? So beginning with breathing, everything else is pretty much God. So that's humility. It's understanding that left to myself, I'm probably not going to do well. Only in relationship with Christ do I have the ability to (coughs) live a life worthy of the calling of God on my life and to really be able to interact in a healthy manner with other people. <coughs> and he continues by saying, be gentle. Gentleness is also, I think, a challenging concept because it, that word is sometimes, some of the older uh, versions, it's translated as meek, be meek. Um, but it's not weak. It's not to be a doormat or just let everybody walk all over you. The picture there really is uh, having a, a confidence in who God is, having a power and authority in your life, but using that appropriately, keeping that under control, and and not just wielding your power and authority, you know, because you can, right? To me, the the kind of quintessential image is Jesus in the garden, and the Roman soldiers come to arrest him, and Peter draws his sword. You know, Peter is kind of, well, I'm not going to say, but he's, you know, He's going to take somebody down. And uh, Jesus says, you don't have to do that, Peter. That's not the way it's going to work. Put it away. He says, don't you, don't you get it? Don't you know? I, I could snap my fingers right now, and my father would send 12 legions of angels, and he would take care of these guys. But that's not the way it's going to work. Jesus had all the authority to, to really control and dominate everything and everyone, but that's not how he chose to use it. He instead said, no, we're going we're gonna to walk out in gentleness the will of God and the purpose of God and allow him to have his way in our lives. That's how we're supposed to respond as Christians. You know, I, if I could say this, I don't know, I suppose I'm going to. So a lot of what we see in our society right now and some of it done in the name of God, is not Christian behavior. It's just not. Name-calling and finger-pointing and blaming are, are really not ways in which God is glorified. And when we choose to respond in that manner, I really think we, we distract and, and, and detract from what God would really want to do in His church which, which really is to allow our relationships to glorify Him in such a way that people go, wow, that's different. That's not what I'm seeing happen all around us. C- can we choose to make those kinds of decisions in gentleness that honor God and build unity and build relationship and show the world around us something different than maybe what they see in virtually every other arena today? I would suggest prayerfully, in in any situation, you consider how might I respond to this in such a manner that God really would be glorified here, that unity would, would be lifted up, and the character of Christ would be reflected in my own life, rather than, I want to be right. Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I think we have the opportunity presented to us to turn away wrath when we begin to live our lives in a different way. Patience and forbearance kind of go hand in hand. And you know you know why those are so important? Because the church is made up of people. That's why. And people do people things. And you know why they do that? Because they're people. And people do people things. It drives me crazy. Anybody? John used to say, people would say, how's your church, John? He'd go, my church is great. It's the people that are driving me nuts. Um, and he was obviously making a, a joke there because the church was the people. But that's the truth. The truth is we need to be patient and forbearing towards one another because chances are probably somewhere along the line, we're driving somebody else crazy, right? Uh, And we need that. I I would say this. Look, I believe, and you you might disagree with me on this point, and if you do, you know where to find me. Uh, I'll be right at Starbucks every Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I will be, but I, I believe this. I believe that sometimes we need to be willing to overlook small offenses and just let it ride. Not let every little thing get under our skin. Sometimes there are those things in which I think there comes a point that it's appropriate that they need to be addressed. And we need to be able to do that in a loving and, and a kind manner and in a way that is geared towards reconciliation, not, again, towards being right or winning. But sometimes we just need to let something slide. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes we get let little stuff getting underneath our skin, and it kind of grates at us a little bit, and just got to go, okay, God, I'm going to give you this one and let you take care of this. Uh, all of this, Paul says at the end, there should be done in love. So love is like the super glue. Love holds the whole thing together. And that is sort of his formula for the beginning of a life that's worthy of the calling of God. He uh, continues by saying, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit Through the bond of peace, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Probably, I think, one of the strongest appeals for unity anywhere in Scripture. Um, Christian unity, our unity, is based in the unity of God. God is one, right? So he says one Lord, one faith, or I mean, one Lord, one... God, one Father. So He's one, and our unity, one hope, one baptism, one faith, comes from that. Uh, There's an interesting comment in verse 7. So there's this... Verse 6 is this strong appeal for unity. One, 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 one. And then in verse 7, He says, But to each one, grace has been given. So... His point is this, that unity isn't uniformity. It's not all of us looking alike, being exactly alike. No, we're all unique and we're all different. It's common purpose and a common focus and a common vision. It really is unity and diversity. We're all called to be who we are and to do what God's given us to do, each one of us in a unique and separate way. But there's a unity that brings us together in that that's inherent in uh, being part of the body of Christ. It's, it's having a respect and an understanding that, you know, hey, everybody's different, and what what some people are called to do is different than what I'm called to do. That's okay. I respect what they're called to do. I don't feel like everybody has to do what I'm called to do. Does that make sense? Sometimes we kind of want, in, in, in the context of a local church, maybe not so, evident, but sometimes when you think of different churches in the community, we wish they would all kind of get on board and do what we're doing. You know what I mean? Everybody should be more like us. The truth is, I value, I love what happens around us. I, I, we were taught, I was talking to somebody this week, I can't remember who I was talking to, but just about our, our friends down the street at the Catholic Church and the way that they, or I guess it's actually that way, um, they do such an amazing job of caring for people in need. Such an amazing job. of I, I, I find it hard, you know, some people, I don't know who, but might be critical of the Catholic Church from time to time. I find it hard to be critical of someone that gives so much effort to caring for people in need. I'm just like, thank you for that. Thank you for that. You have resource to do things that I wish I could do, but I don't always have resource to do. It's different. There's, there's different expressions. Different There's diversity in the body of Christ, but we're combined and connected around the idea that we have a common purpose to make God known to people around us. The next few verses are a little bit confusing. He quotes one of the Psalms, and uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, but his point in the, in the quote from the Psalms is simply that God gave gifts. God gives gifts. And what he does then, is describe those gifts. And in this passage here, the description of gifts is a little different than it is in, in many of the other passages that talk about gifts. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, Instead of, like, the gifts of the Spirit that we normally think of, the gifts he's talking about here are actually people. God's given these gifts to the church to, bless you, to equip the saints. Uh, This is a, for those of you that have been around the Vineyard Movement for any length of time, kind of a foundational sort of cornerstone text for us. Uh, The equipping of the saints. I, I have always said, I maintained, you know... John Wimber was known for a lot of things, some better than others. Mostly good stuff, not bad, but I mean, uh, depending on who you, who you listen to. But I've always maintained, if the Lord tarries 100 years from now, I think John will be remembered for equipping the saints. I think he'll be remembered for putting ministry back in the hands of the people. Uh, again, somebody that maybe were around in the 70s uh, will remember a time when basically the person in the front did all the ministry. Anybody? around during that, remember that? I had an interesting um, experience once. I, I grew up in the vineyard, and so I was, for me, my frame of reference was everybody gets to play, right? We all pray. That's what we do. And I was asked to speak at a, at a conference. It was a youth conference in, in Northern California, and I went and spoke, and then they invited me to stay over and teach in their church on Sunday. Not a vineyard church, and I—I I didn't. I was kind of naive, I suppose. I didn't know the protocol, right? Uh, so at the, end of, at the end of the service, I had everybody stand and said, "We're now we're just going to pray for people. If you'd like prayer, you can you can come up to the front." And people came up and they kind of lined up, which I thought was odd, but I didn't really think about it. And, and I realized later they were waiting for me to pray for them. I had a team with me of young people. And uh, so I just released them to go pray, and they started praying for people, and people were a little bit weirded out by it. First of all, they were kind of weird young people. Uh, no, they were, they, were all, they were all musicians, right? it's a bunch of rockers. And they, and, they, and they went and started praying for people. And people were like, I don't know, is this okay? Can they pray for me? And, uh, uh, you know, kind of messed the church up a little bit. But it was fine. It was fine. But the point is that God's given—oh, man. Sometimes, you know, in certain sections of the church today, I'll be honest, this whole fivefold ministry thing gets taken a little too far. It's like these guys are the big guys, and they do everything, and they're so important. And I think their job is to equip everybody else to do the ministry. That's what their job is. That's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. Okay? That's it. Period. Period. Um, It's to prepare people for works of service. This is a, an echo of what Paul said back in chapter 2 when he said we are, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared beforehand for us to do. There's stuff to do. It requires unity and diversity. It requires every part of the body doing their part to get that stuff done. So the prayer people are praying. The teacher people are teaching. The setup people are setting up. The greeters are greeting, the ushers are ushing, the worship leaders are leading worship. Praise God, I'm not leading worship. Right? Some of you have heard me sing. We all do the thing God's called us to do, and together we carry out the purpose of God, and ultimately, there's a progression of thought that happens. Uh, The equipping of the saints for works of service will cause the body to be built up. When we're all doing our job we're stronger. When we're all doing what we're called to do, we're stronger. We're built up. And what that leads to is unity. There's unity. And because I I don't have to do everything and I don't expect everybody to do what I'm doing, I'm blessed, and I am blessed. I'm blessed when I see all of you doing what God's called you to do. Do you know that? I really, I mean, I'm I mean being that sincerely right now. I, lo- I love when I come in and our greeters are back here warmly greeting people. I just love that. And you think, well, that's just a simple little thing. No, it's not. I, I, I love it when a certain un, unnamed young lady comes in here and makes coffee every week. I just go, Praise God. Thank you for that. We like coffee. It's so good. I love it when I hear, like I did a couple minutes ago, These kids in here squealing and squawking and making noise, and I know somebody's in there having a great time with them, and it's not me. I love that. I really do. I'm so blessed that you all do what you do, and we're stronger together. We're better together. There's unity that happens when we do that. And what that leads to is us becoming mature and entering into the fullness of God. And I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again. We can never experience the fullness that God has for us alone. We can only experience the fullness God has for us together. We'll never experience that on our own. Paul concludes then, when that happens, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There is a, um, a precious calling on our lives. And, th- and there is an expectation on those that have received the grace of God to walk and live that life, that calling out. And that's what, that's what God's asked us to do and to be. This is a beautiful picture of that. I would encourage you this week to just go back and reread this pack, passage a few times. Meditate on it think about it. And if you don't know what your role is and what your place is and what your calling is, begin to pray and ask God to show those things to you. All right, let's stand.